welcome to Rock Hills. You just uh, officially uh, let me do something I've always dreamed of doing right there. No, but I, I do that because I know that you're probably all wondering. If you've been watching the news this week, you've seen that there's been a little shakeup in our hometown team here, right? Our Spurs have had a little shakeup, and so I'm sure you're all probably wondering, our Pop and our C, are the Spurs, are, are we going to lose our pastor? I mean... Are they gonna Are they gonna call Adam up and and then what are you going to do? Because I mean, I don't mean to be arrogant, but you've probably all seen the Thirty for Thirty episode, right? Yeah, I'm, if you haven't seen it, let me just fill you in a little bit. All right, true story here. My basketball career. I want to fill you in on this. The year was nineteen eighty six. I was in the seventh grade. It was the first game of the season, so the very first competitive game that we had ever played as a team. We were playing the mighty Cahoma Bulldogs in West Texas, and it was a fierce match. We went back and forth and back and forth, and unfortunately, we came up short in the game. We lost 31-19 to in our very first match. However, yours truly scored all 19 of the home points. <laughs> Thank you. Thank, can we have one more round of applause just for my ego? Because that's as good as it ever got right there. Because from that game forward, it was all downhill. I guarantee you, that was it. That was the best my basketball career ever got, unfortunately. But I do want to thank you guys for bearing with us here in the gym. If this is your first time here today, we don't do this every week. Once, once a year, we have to move in here so they can work on the floors over there. But the good news is... Every single one of you can go home, tell your friends, tell your family, post it on social media. You have already been to church and to the gym this week. All right? So you got double stars. You're doing really good. And I do want you to be praying as well as we've had, we have some challenges, air conditioning, moving the gym, whatever. It just makes us all the more pray for what God has for us as far as a church home. We are looking very seriously at some opportunities that we have. I say all that just to say we'd like for you guys to be praying with us that we make wise choices and uh, that God opens up the right doors for us as we do that. Um, as we truly catch up, though, on, on what's happening here as all-stars, uh, we're going to look at an, a true all-star of sorts. As we, We've been going through the book of Acts, and as, especially as we get to the latter part of the book of Acts, there's one prominent person that it all seems to revolve around, and that is Paul. And just a side note here, since we are in the gym and things are abnormal, the restrooms are right through that door right there. So I apologize, they're right there. That means you have to get up in front of everybody and go over there. But that's where they're at in case you need them. But uh, we're looking at Acts. And Paul has become the prominent figure. And especially as we get to the end of the book of Acts, it really revolves around Luke, who's writing this. He's recording it, but he doesn't really show up. He's just in the background. And you've got Paul and all these people who Paul has influenced and made a difference in their lives. And, and so it's Paul and the cast of people that are on the court with him, per se, right? I mean, we've got, we've got this guy who is just really stepping up and making a difference. So how did we get here? How did we get to this place where Paul is at the center of all that's going on? So let me just catch you up, just a little bit of a catch-up here. First of all, Acts is the sequel to the book of Luke. Luke was written by Luke, and Acts is also written by Luke. Luke is a physician, very well educated, very detailed. He records the details of Jesus' life in the Gospel of Luke, and then he goes on to record the details of the beginning of the church in the book of Acts. 
So Acts starts picking up with a Jesus who is now risen from the dead and starts and meets with people and, and explains to them the resurrection, but then also says, I'm about to leave and I'm going to ascend into heaven. Then he ascends into heaven. And then as, as Josh referred to a little bit ago in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls. And so now the power that was within Jesus is within all of those who believe. But then as the church begins to gather in this new movement, as they're filled with the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden there, becomes, there comes some persecution because people don't necessarily like what's going on because it changes the status quo of what's always been. And so as people gather, that is the church. The church was never the building, right? It was the people who gathered. So as the people gathered to follow this message and this mission of Jesus, there comes persecution, which causes the church to scatter from Jerusalem now to all parts around that region. So it just begins to grow and grow like a ripple effect on a pond, right? It just keeps going and going. But as the persecution begins to chase them, as it keeps going, we see the number one persecutor show up. And it's a guy named Saul, who later becomes our man, Paul. So Saul is literally a hitman. He's an executioner. He's the one signing the warrants saying, okay, yes, those people are Christians. Go and kill them. And he's part of it himself. So he's chasing down Christians one day in Acts chapter 9 as he's going to kill Christians and hunt them down and have them thrown into jail, tortured, beaten, killed, whatever it may be. As he's pursuing them, God himself meets Saul. And he has an encounter that is so powerful with Saul that it changes him from being a well-educated man who grew up understanding uh, the old philosophy to realizing now this is the Messiah and his life is completely turned around with this encounter that he has. So then, uh, basically in this encounter, he changes jerseys, right? I mean, you Can you imagine how weird that would be in the middle of a game? You find out you get traded. You're on the other team now. You have to go in the locker room, switch jerseys. That's what happened to Paul. He's on one side. He switches to the other side. And you can imagine the players that were around him weren't so ready to accept him, right? Because just yesterday he was killing people. So they're a little hesitant. But as we've gone through Acts, we're now about 20 years later. I mean, we're looking at it in a few pages and a few weeks as we talk about this. But now this has gone on for 20 years that, that Paul has now been serving God. Everywhere he goes, he's sharing the message. People's lives are being changed. And also people are showing up that say, hey, we don't want the status quo to be changed. So we're going to throw you in jail or beat you or run you out of town. So this kind of is the cycle that we see happening through Acts As he joins other believers, they discover the power of Jesus. Their lives are changed. And then persecution tends to follow that because change can be difficult. But by this time, where we're going to pick up today in the scripture, the church has become a force absolutely to be reckoned with. Since we're on a basketball court, it's the team that just can't seem to be beaten, right? They just keep going. Whatever you throw at them, they just keep going and keep going and keep going. So there's been people killed, arrested, beaten, but the power and the message of God just can't seem to be stopped. So that catches us up to where we're at today. We're going to look at a few highlights in Acts chapter 20 through 22. So I'm just going to give you some Quick highlights and a little outline, but I encourage you to read this and read it for yourself. 
Don't ever just believe something because I said it or one of our teachers, somebody on our teaching team says it. I want you guys to read the Bible and know what the Word of God says in your life. So Acts chapter 20 verse 1 starts out with this phrase, when the uproar was over. All right, so already you can tell this is starting out in the midst of drama and fortunately it's coming to some sort of conclusion. But when this chapter starts, it starts with an uproar that is now coming to an end, which Paul has kind of gotten used to because, once again, what Paul does is he's going from town to town. He's finding believers in that city, and he's encouraging them and building up their faith. He's finding other people who are curious about the message, and he's sharing what God has done in his life, and their lives are being changed. So this is the pattern that he goes on and goes on. So there's this uproar. It's over. It says then he's off to a town called Macedonia, There, it tells us that he encourages believers again. And then he goes off to an area you're familiar with, Greece. And it says that he stays in Greece for three months. So Paul is there, and he's meeting new people. He's he's encouraging new people. He's sharing this message that he's discovered with people. People's lives are being changed once again. And in the midst of this three months, somebody comes up to him, and they say, Hey, Paul, we just overheard that some Jews are coming to kill you. Right now, there's a whole army of them that are coming this way to murder you. And so Paul makes a very wise choice, and he says, Okay, guys, it's been a nice three months. I've got to go now. And he exits out the back door, and he's gone. So he leaves Greece, and he takes some new people traveling with him all the time when he's going. He's grabbing new people because they've experienced this life change, and then they go on. And now you've got to imagine this, because this isn't just like you and I. We show up to a church service, and we go, Man, I, I really enjoyed that. I got something out of it. I learned something. When these people show up and hear the message and they decide, okay, I'm going to follow you, it meant that it could potentially cost them everything, even their lives, not just you go back home and you'll think about it this week. So these people were risking everything to follow Paul. So they're going with Paul. They go to several more cities, says that they share the good news. One particular story that they throw in in Acts chapter 20, I like this, says Paul is gathered in a room kind of like this. It it probably had multi-levels and and some windows. They didn't have air conditioning like this because it says that one young man was sitting in the window. And it says, and you guys can't imagine what this would be like, I'm sure. Paul was speaking and he got so excited that he just kept on and kept on and kept on and kept on. And I know you guys can never imagine anything like that, like the preacher just talking too long. But that's what it says. It says he got so excited that he talked past midnight. So, And it talks about him starting in the morning. So I don't know how long he went, but he was going for a long time. And there's one young man that was there, and he was sitting up. It said it was a third story, so it's a big open area. He's sitting in the window. His name is Eutychus. After Paul is going on and on and on, Eutychus, it says, falls asleep. He falls asleep and falls out of the window and dies. And to me, it's funny because it says that Paul goes, he must have stopped his message and just said, oh, hey, everybody, hold on a second. He goes over to this young kid, and if you've ever broken something and you just tried to cover it up, that's what it seems like to me because it says Paul goes over to him and says, oh, don't worry, he's fine, and then he's healed, right? Not like, oh my gosh, he's dead, let's, let's all gather and pray for him. He's just like, uh, nothing to see here, the boy's fine, and then he wakes up, and he's alive. Now, I do have to tell you guys, I'm not Paul. If you fall asleep in my message, and you fall on the floor and break your neck, 
I'm probably just going to leave you there, okay? But for this young man, it says that he got up, he was healed, he walked away that day. So Paul continues his travels. At this point, he goes to Ephesus. You may be familiar with the book of Ephesians, right? That's a letter to the people in Ephesus. Paul goes to the church in Ephesus, and there he's going to talk with the leaders of the church. So he gets together with the people in Ephesus who are leading the church there, the believers who have gathered, and this is what he says. Acts chapter 20, verses 19 through 21. I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears, I have endured the trials that came from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike. The necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus. So Paul tells these guys, he's pouring his heart and soul into, he says, listen, I've given all that I have. It's never been about me. It's been about what Jesus does. He does it humbly and with tears. He's been through trials and plots to kill him. So he says, man, I've lived this out. I've paid the price. And I've never shrank back. You know, because honestly, if I was in Paul's shoes and I knew people were trying to kill me or throw me in jail or beat me, there probably would have been a lot of places where I would have said, uh, I just won't say anything today, right? I'm just going to hold back and maybe a better opportunity will arise. Paul says, I never shrunk back. And he says, I, I never just took the easy route. I told you what you needed to hear, not what you wanted to hear. And it wasn't one thing that I just said to a group of people. If it was you and me in your house, I said the same thing to you. It's always been one message. Whether you're people who have grown up in a religious setting like the Jews or you're the Gentiles who didn't know God at all, it's always been one message. And that message is that Jesus came so that every single one of you who are sinners can turn from your sin and be made new, no matter what your background is. And he said, the cost of this is worth it to me. And then he tells people, I need to go to Jerusalem. Now, this was a big deal. Paul had been going to all of these cities, so this just kind of sounds like it's another city. You have to remember, this is where Paul started. And this is where all the persecution began. And this is where Paul was himself persecuting people. So this was kind of the hub of where it was happening. And Paul said, I need to go back to Jerusalem. Because this message of Jesus being able to change everything has to go back to the heart of it all. But he said, I know it's going to cost me a great price. Because it's the Jews who are against him. And the Jews are based out of Jerusalem, right? I mean, you see how that all fits together. So this is hometown for them. This is the home court for them. And he says, this is where I need to go. This is where the message has to go. And I know it's going to cost me a lot. So I have to ask myself as I look at this, what is it that drives Paul, right? What is it that causes him to say, I'm willing to risk my life to share this message no matter what it costs me? But we have to look at that. I mean, like I said, a lot of times, if I'm honest, if something causes me to be uncomfortable, it's easy for me to pull away from that, right? If we face any sort of persecution or somebody saying something about us that offends us, and certainly if we faced any sort of persecution that would cause us to be put in jail or be beaten or, any, or cost us our lives, it would be so easy for us to pull away and say, okay, I won't do that. But that's not what Paul did here. So why is it that he would be driven with such passion 
that would cost him everything to share this message. Here's what he says in verse 24. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news and the wonderful grace of God. So there's his answer. Why does he do it? Because that's entirely what his life is about. And if he doesn't tell other people what God has put within him to tell other people, then he's missed the very point of his life. And then he goes on at the end of that chapter to say, says he says his final goodbyes. He realizes when he's with these people that he loves in Ephesus that have become dear friends to him, they know and he knows if he goes to Jerusalem, this is probably going to be the last time they ever see each other. And I don't know if you've ever been in one of those emotional situations. I remember my dad passed away in 2010 and we had several opportunities to go and see him. It was just such a heart wrenching thing to give him a hug and to feel feel him next to me and to hear his voice and then to pull out of the driveway knowing that might be the very last time and it's just such a hard thing and you may have been there with some of your loved ones before that's what they were feeling here that's what Paul felt for these people and that's what these people felt for Paul they had been through so much together and they realized when they said goodbye This is not an easy goodbye because this is not, I'll see you again later on this earth anyway. They realized that it was a very hard thing. So it was with many tears again. Then we get to chapter 21. He travels again, several cities sharing the gospel, encouraging believers, facing persecution. Again, says more goodbyes. He shows up to one area and it says that there's prophets there. Some young ladies that are prophesying. Prophesying meaning God put a message in their heart and they share it with Paul. So these young ladies share that and there's a man too that comes up. This man comes up with a belt, which is kind of odd, right? But he puts it around Paul's feet and he binds him up and he says, God is saying that if you end up in Jerusalem, this is going to be you. You're going to be bound up and you're going to be a prisoner. But the Lord's will be done if that's God's will. And Paul says, I have to do it. I'm a driven man. I have to go to Jerusalem. So he's off to Jerusalem. And it says this, 21 verse 17. When he arrived, the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem welcomed us warmly. The next day, Paul went with us to meet with James, who's Jesus' brother. And all the elders of the Jerusalem church were present. After greeting them... Paul gave detailed account of the things that God had accomplished among the Gentiles through his ministry. After hearing this, they praised God and they said, You know, dear brother, how many thousands of Jews have also believed and they follow the law of Moses very seriously. So Paul shows up again with people who he's connected to so closely He greets them, and then he begins to tell them, as I've traveled all over this region, here's what God has done in these people. Here's what God has done in these people. These people who had never even heard of God, here's what God has done in them. He lists all these situations that we've been looking at the last several weeks. He tells them about that. And then the people in Jerusalem say, and you know what? There are so many Jews that are here that realize this is the Messiah. This message that you began 20-something years ago, that, you, that the church began and then you carried it forward, it just keeps going and going and going. And so many lives have been changed. But, then they want to bring up a little but. 
They say, but there's one thing that you need to know. Now, I don't, I don't know if you guys can really picture a concept like this, but so you've got these two different, basically, political views, two different viewpoints of life, and you've got one view who doesn't like what the other view is saying. So what they do is they begin to create a false narrative, saying, well, those people, here's what, they're, here's what they believe in. Here's what they say. And they take a little bit of truth, and then they put all this other stuff around it. So I know that you guys can't imagine if like one political party said about the other political party, you know, oh, here's what those guys believe. Here's what they're saying. I mean, we'd probably call it something like fake news, right? I mean, this was going on long before our political system. Here's what it says in verse 21. But the Jewish believers here in Jerusalem have been told that you are teaching all of the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn their backs on the law of Moses. That part's not true. They've heard that you teach them not to circumcise their children or follow Jewish customs. That has a little bit of truth in what he's been talking about, but that's not true. They've twisted what he's saying. So this false narrative begins to arise here. So here's what Paul says. Paul says, okay, let's do this. Let's go to the temple and let's worship together and let's show our devotion. We're not going to cause an argument. We're not going to say anything. We are just going to go and devoutly worship God. And so that's what they go and do. But then this fake news begins to rise even louder. It says this at the end of verse 27 and into 28. They grabbed him, yelling, men of Israel, This is the man who preaches against our people everywhere, fake news, and tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws, fake news. He speaks against the temple, fake news, and even defiles the holy place, fake news, by bringing in Gentiles. Okay, the last part's true right there. Because God has showed Paul, and God has now opened up the message when the Holy Spirit comes, that even if you weren't born a Jew, the grace and the goodness of God is for you. And so it tells us this in verse 30, that the whole city is rocked. So the entire city of Jerusalem just begins to be in an uproar, and it says that they're trying to kill him. I mean, it's so chaotic that when the Roman guard sees what's happening, he's on horseback. He sees them surrounding this man. He has to ride over there on horseback, pull Paul out of the situation and say, what in the world is going on? So he pulls Paul out and then he yells to everybody, what is going on? So here's kind of what happened. If you guys will pity me one more time here. I want you to think, if you had a really good friend who went to Fiesta, let's just say hypothetically, on a Friday night, and he ended up getting arrested, right? What do you think your friend would get arrested for? I'm going to give you just a few seconds to pick anything you want, all right? On the count of three, I want you to say loudly what your friend got arrested for. One, two, three. All right. That's kind of what it was like, but at a much higher volume This guy pulls Paul out of the crowd and says, what's going on here? And all these Jews just start screaming whatever they want to accuse Paul for. Whether there's any basis to it or not. They're just screaming it out. And as they scream it out, you know how tensions and emotions just rise and they get angrier and angrier. And the guard can't hear anything. All he hears are these random accusations. But then the crowd, you guys if you will, 
all of a sudden find a little bit of unity. And it's almost like this. Uh, could, could you give me a little, Josh, you'll have to help me on this. Stomp, stomp, clap. Stomp, stomp, clap. Everybody now? Stomp, stomp, clap. There you go. So everybody's yelling what they're angry about Paul for. And then they find a common ground. And they start yelling, kill him. Kill him. Kill him. Kill him. And everybody joins in. And it says they're all screaming, kill him. All right. Very good. Very good. You did great on that, by the way. So they're all yelling, kill him. So the guard knows that he needs to do something. He pulls Paul back away from everybody else. He pulls him away. And then Paul turns to the guard. Remember, Paul is a very educated man. It says that he turns to the guard and he speaks to him in Greek, which would have been the guard's native language. And the guard, the guard is caught off guard. Because, you know, he's like, whoa, this guy is speaking my language. Uh, when we went to China last year to adopt our son, it's just Mandarin everywhere, right? And I remember the first time we're going on the subway, we're trying to figure everything out. And this guy comes up to us. He's like, hey, can I help y'all? <laughs> and you're like, English. I just heard English, you know, and it sounds so good. And so here's this guard in the midst of everybody screaming in Arabic, all these Things that, you know, that, that they're so upset about. And then Paul turns to him and says, hey, can I tell you something? <laughs> you know, he's just like, oh, wow, I hear you talking in my language. And he says, I, I need to tell you who I am. And then, so here's some more fake news for you. The guard turns to Paul and says, aren't you the man who killed 4,000 Egyptian assassins in the desert? Again, fake news. But if you're going to be blamed for fake news, I would pick that one right? Aren't you the guy who, I mean, where in the world do you get 4,000 Egyptian assassins that have gathered, is it an assassin convention in the desert or what? And somebody apparently showed up and killed them all. I mean, if I was Paul, I'd be like, yeah, that, that one was me. You know, I take credit for that one. I'm pretty bad, dude. Don't mess with me. So Paul, again, is like, no, that's not me. Can I speak to these people about who I am? So the guard says, yeah, go ahead. And then he speaks to the people, and he starts speaking Aramaic to them. And all the people are like, oh, he was just speaking Greek. Now he's speaking Aramaic. And it says, a hush falls over the crowd. And here's what, here's what he tells them in chapter 22. He says, I'm like you guys. I am a Jew. And he begins to tell them not just the way I was born, but here's how I was educated. I was educated by Gamamiel, which doesn't mean anything to you and I, but it's basically like saying... I got my doctorate from Harvard, right? So he's, he's giving so, some credibility to his education. He's saying, I was educated this way. And here's how I lived. He said, I lived by every single law and I followed it to the T with passion. As a matter of fact, you may have heard of me. I used to be Saul. I was the one going out and killing Christians, Right, So he starts telling his story and he tells about the day that he was en route to put away with the very people that he now stands with and how he met God on the road that changed his life in such a way that he has never been the same again. And everybody in the audience that was just screaming to kill him is now clued in and they're listening to every word because they understand, okay, you're one of us. 
You're not just some guy who's causing trouble. We want to listen to what you have to say. And you're saying you found the Messiah. We've been waiting for the Messiah. So we're going to listen to what you have to say. Even though discovering the Messiah would have been a dangerous reality to the Jews. He says, I've discovered the Messiah. And it's hard to share in places like this. So as I kept going, God showed me I even share this message with the Gentiles. And there's the rub. That's why everybody wants to kill him. Because all of these people who were devout Jews that were ready to kill Paul are saying, this is about us and we don't want them. Because those people are not like us. They're not as good as us. They have not earned what we have earned. So if you're telling us God can not only love us, but he can love them too, then let's start it again. Stomp, stomp, clap, stomp, kill him, kill him, kill him. So they start shouting again. If you want the Gentiles to be involved in this, we would prefer that you were dead. So the guard pulls him away because the guard is mystified by this. The guard is about to have him whipped and beaten so that he can get some real answers for him because he figures... Surely it's not as simple as this. And as he's about to have him sentenced to be whipped and beaten, Paul turns to him once again in Greek and says, Oh, by the way, I'm also a Roman citizen. At which the guard puts on the brake because the guard cannot have a Roman citizen whipped and beaten without a trial. So that's where we end in in these chapters. And we'll pick back up there next week. But I want us to look at just a couple of things that we see in Paul's life. Because as we look at Paul's life, it's not like our lives in a lot of ways, right? I think a couple of things become apparent as he's taking center stage towards the book of Acts. How in the world is he motivated to live like this? Continually facing rejection, continually facing persecution, facing torture, facing imprisonment, potentially even facing death. We also see that he's continually surrounded by people that love him dearly and whose lives have been changed. So what in the world has brought Paul to this place where he can live this sort of life? Well, Paul, at the very essence of it all, as he shared with us earlier, he has experienced something powerful, and it's this. From Jesus' own words in Matthew 16, 24 through 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish, selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give it up for my sake, you will save it. Paul is living this out to the T. He has laid down his life to embrace following after Jesus. We see this in his own words in Galatians 2.20. He says this, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So two things that are very powerful, I think, that we can see in Paul's life here. Number one, he knows what he believes. And number two, he knows what he is supposed to be doing with his life. And I think that's where there can be a disconnect for us. right? We go to church and we kind of have an idea of what we believe, but do we really know 
what we believe? Do we really know what we are supposed to be doing with our lives? Paul knew that very clearly. Again, Jesus' words in Matthew 22, 37 and 38 says this. Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Here's what Paul's doing with all of his heart and all of his life. He's loving God. He's loving others. He's helping people find and follow Jesus. That's exactly what he's doing. That's exactly what we are called to do as the church. We're supposed to love God, love others, help people find and follow Jesus. And sometimes that's going to be uncomfortable. Sometimes that's going to cost us. But that's exactly what Paul lived out. We can have a disconnect again here in thinking, well, that's Paul. He's in the Bible. But he also makes it very clear that salvation is for all of us. And God's purpose is for all of us. So even though Paul did that, there's no reason why you and I cannot do that as well. So am I saying that you need to be the next Paul? That you need to begin going from town to town, knocking on people's doors, hey, you know, Jesus, you know, and seeing how it goes? Because that's really what Paul did. He just showed up and saw whatever opportunities came up. I'm not saying that because you're not supposed to be Paul. You're supposed to be you. And God has a purpose and a calling for each one of your lives, something that he has designed you to do. But if we are following Christ, if we are believers, God will give you an opportunity to let others see the gospel lived out in your life, just like they saw it lived out in Paul's life. God will give you the opportunity even to use your words to express the goodness and the grace of God to others. There may be those who will cringe because they've had a bad experience with church or they had a bad experience with a pastor and Christianity, let's face it, has had a bad reputation from time to time. But there will be an opportunity when Coach Pop is going to look down the bench and say, Roy, get in there. Your time, man. Get in the game. And let's, let's be honest now. If that was you, you know, you got, those, you got those lucky seats that you won on the radio or something, and you're sitting right behind the bench, and for whatever reason, Pop turns around with a jersey and throws it to you and says, get in the game. We need you in there. None of us would know what to do. Even, even those of you who think you're pretty skilled on the court and think, oh, yeah, I know what to do. You, all you would know is which team you are on and which direction you're going, hopefully. You're not going to know what to do when you get out there on the court. But the truth is, every one of us in our lives, if we're a follower of Christ, there's going to be a time when people are looking at our lives to say, I wonder if what you believe in is real. There's going to be a time in your life when somebody might say to you, whether that's, you know, at your house, your neighbor, somebody at the basketball game, somebody at work, whatever, that might say to you, what do you believe? Why do you believe that? And what is your answer going to be? I mean, let's, let's face it, I can give all of you a freebie. One answer you can have is, hold on, let me call Al Hasler real quick. And, hey, Al, can you come meet with this person, <laughs> right? I mean, he, he's got lots of great answers. But what is your answer? If somebody asks you, what do you believe? Why do you believe that? Do we have an answer for that? First Peter 3.15 says this, But in your hearts, 
Revere Christ as Lord. In other words, if you're a believer, this is for you. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. I want to read that last portion again one more time. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Because we love God and we love others, we should have an answer for the hope that we have found. And this is what drove Paul so. He had an answer for the hope that he had found that he couldn't keep to himself. Now, it doesn't say in that scripture that you have to be able to answer every question that somebody may have. Somebody may say, well, what about this verse and that verse? I don't know. I can't answer that one. Well, what about what happened with Christianity, you know, 200 years ago? I don't know. Well, I knew this pastor who had an affair with his secretary. I don't know. I can't answer all those questions, but what I can answer is I can answer the hope that I have found. Here's here's my very simple answer to you guys. The reason that I am a believer, that I personally have found hope, is because I believe that I am. I'm a sinner. I'm not good enough on my own, but that Jesus Christ himself came and lived a perfect life and died and paid the penalty for my sin and rose again. You see, I'm not a believer because of other Christians. I'm a believer because of what Jesus has done for my life. That's my hope. That's my reason. We all have to have a reason for the hope that we have within us. So, are you ready to be in the game? When God calls you and you have that opportunity, somebody says, what is the reason for the hope that you have? Are you ready? I think that it's appropriate, here as we wrap up this message, that we are in a gym today with no bleachers. And the reason for that being is that Christianity was never meant to be a spectator religion where you simply watched and heard what was going on. As a Christian, God calls every one of us to be a part of the action. Every single one of us are called to be on the court participating. When we worship, worship is not about watching. Worship is about participating. When we live our faith, it's not about just going to a church service and going home. It's about us living our faith. It's never about these early Christians... It was never about attending to them, right? It was about being a part of the movement called Christianity. They put faith to action. They loved God and they loved others. That is what the church is supposed to be. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you have invited all of us, Jews and Gentiles. Lord, those who have followed you devotely for many years and those who have resisted you for many years. Lord, you invite all of us into your presence to be forgiven and find the grace of God. And we thank you that you sent Jesus to die for every one of us equally. Lord, that he came to pay the price. If you're here today and you need to make a fresh start, would you just take a moment and in your own words, surrender your life to God and ask him to be the Lord of your life. Maybe you need to do that again or for the very first time. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus, which makes us new creations. Lord, I pray that you would genuinely help us 
to love you and to love others, to help people find and follow Jesus. Lord, I pray that when we're asked the question of why, why do we have the hope that we have, that we have an answer for that. Lord, we're inspired by people like Paul, Lord, who are able to lay everything down. Father, I pray that you would show us very clearly too, what do we believe and why do we believe it? Who do you want us to reach, Lord? Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.